0: A lot of times when you've had to feel like you have to prove yourself over and over again, I think you do get a bit of that chip on your shoulder and you like side eye people and just assume that they don't think you're worthy. So um, it does color your the lens that way. But, you know, like the the stereotypes of what people think um, and how they perceive you, I think, are there, you know, like I've been told, like, oh, you better watch how you speak because you might be to sound too bossy or you can seem really like like you you value conflict or whatever, you know, that whole thing where it's like, if I was a dude, I I would sound like I had authority and I was a leader and I was decisive. But, you know, as a woman, if I do that, then, you know, I have to always wonder, like, do they think I'm being too bossy or like the other B word or whatever.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Life with Fire podcast, the podcast that explores our relationship with wildfire and how we can better coexist with it in the future. I'm your host, Amanda Monti, and today is our third episode of our Women in Wildfire series and our second episode with Jane Park, who is a Korean-Canadian woman, a Type 1 Incident Commander up in Canada, and is the Fire and Vegetation Management Specialist for Banff National Park. In the last episode with Jane, we spoke about her position uh, with Parks Canada And we talked a little bit about the fire regime and prescribed fire management in Banff National Park specifically. And in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives that Jane has spearheaded, including bringing WTREX, uh, which is the Women Prescribed Fire Training Program, to Canada for the first time. So we talked a lot about that in this episode and also about the benefits of bringing more diversity into the fire program or into the fire world. And how those dynamics can change when you do have more people of color, more women, and more people in those decision-making roles who are bringing different perspectives, different backgrounds, different experiences. As both a woman in fire and a person of color, Jane can speak pretty personally about this topic and about the dynamic of being underrepresented in the fire world. And especially so as somebody who's in a pretty high up management position, as an IC1, um, as somebody who's... Responded to a lot of large fire incidents in Canada, as well as in Australia. So she brings a lot of great perspective to this conversation, talks a lot about some of the microaggressions that she's experienced personally, and about some of the conversations that she's had with other women and her many initiatives that aim to build a greater sense of community amongst women in fire and people of color in fire. So... It was awesome to talk to Jane about this topic. And I think anyone who's felt underrepresented on a fire crew or while on a fire will probably relate pretty heavily to a lot of what Jane has to say and a lot of her experiences. If you end up liking this episode or if you want to know more about this topic, our second episode with Laneya Quinn Davidson also covers this topic pretty extensively. So if you're interested in learning more about the diversity initiatives that are happening in the wildland fire space and prescribed fire spaces, Be sure to go check that episode out after you listen to this episode, of course. And before we get into the episode, I did want to thank Mystery Ranch for coming on as a sponsor recently, and I wanted to talk a little bit about their new women's line of their fire packs, which I am honestly so jealous that they didn't have these when I was in fire. These new packs feature more ergonomic design for women's bodies, including narrower shoulder straps, as well as women's specific sizing and a chest strap that doesn't Uh, cause too much friction on our boobs which is pretty cool honestly. I'm not super familiar with who would do the pack purchasing for different crews but if there are any FMOs or AFMOs or crew superintendents or crew bosses out there who tend to want to hire women which should be all of you then I would highly recommend buying a couple of these packs for the cash for this summer I'm sure the ladies on your crew would probably really appreciate not having to customize their packs with the medium hip belt, but the small yoke and the super tightened down, kind of uncomfortable chest strap, et cetera, et cetera. So check that out if you're in a position to purchase fire packs this year. And of course, if you don't work in fire directly, or if you're not in a position to buy a fire pack specifically, Mystery Ranch offers a wide variety of other types of packs. They have backpacking packs, hunting packs, Backcountry ski packs, briefcases, the whole nine yards. Anything you might need, they've probably got it. So I will include a link in this episode's show notes for both the Women's Fire Packs as well as Mystery Ranch's general website. So go check that out. And thanks again to Mystery Ranch for supporting the podcast. I have one more quick thank you before we get into this episode, and that is for our two new patrons this week, Allison Deek and Doug Cote who both supported the Patreon at the $15 and $20 tiers this month. So a huge thank you to Allison and Doug for the support. It's super, super appreciated. And if any of you are interested in supporting the Patreon, we will send you a Mystery Ranch goodie bag if you support at the $15 level and a Life with Fire calendar if you support at the $20 or $30 level. All of the support on our Patreon goes towards continuing to support the podcast especially as we work into a more weekly posting schedule and it becomes a little bit more of a thing uh, and requires a bit more research, a lot more time interviewing folks and editing editing episodes and all of the associated tasks with uh, putting this thing out every week. so I will throw a link to our patreon up in the episodes show notes and appreciate any support that you guys can offer over there. All right you guys are probably sick of me talking so let's get into the episode. This is Jane Park with Live with Fire, and we appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this episode
0: We are starting to work more with indigenous people in the area as well and and trying to figure out, you know what opportunities there are for us to work together and and to like have a shared stewardship of the land. It's kind of the next um kind of phase, I think of of the program is kind of really trying to get back to what the fire regime would would be before. Mm -hmm. That's
1: incredible. I think you're living the dream of like every prescribed fire manager (laughs) in the United States.
0: Yeah, I feel pretty lucky, actually.
1: (laughs) Can you tell me a bit about maybe how those past experiences working with tribes has reflected in your your current objectives and kind of what you perceive to be like that, uh, I guess,
0: collaborative land stewardship that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think like the most formative experience I had was working in Vuntut National Park. Um, that national park was founded um, and created as part of a modern land claim agreement um, with the Vuntut uh First Nation and their government. And um, basically no management decision is made without them. So, you know, anything we wanted to do, whether it was about wildlife or emergency management or monitoring, Um, every decision was made together. And, um, you know, you know, some people who are used to the way things always are might say like, Oh, well, didn't that take longer? Or is not that cumbersome? And it it just became natural. It's, you wouldn't think of making those decisions without them. And I think what I've, I've seen is that that's not necessarily how it is everywhere you work. um, But that's what made made it really meaningful and actually getting to like live in the community, meet the people, you know, become very close with them. You know, a lot of like, that was, I think it was like now 16 years ago or something like that. And and I still talk to people almost every day from up there. And um, so I'm, yeah, bringing that down here, you know, we are starting to do a lot more with folks like Dr. Amy Christensen and um, we're going to be doing a number of um, cultural burning workshops to really engage and talk to the nations and see what their, um, what their interests are in fire management and cultural burning practices, and see how we move forward together. So I think, like had I you know, I, I'd like to think that I'm enlightened enough that if I hadn't gone up, I still would have gotten there. But, you know, that experience definitely kind of changed my whole worldview and really changed my life like this is the best best experience of my life, even though it was only a couple of years. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's so cool. Um, I, I, this is really vague, but
1: can you, can I, I guess, tell me a little bit more about those relationships uh, and like relationship building with tribes and and kind of how that's looked for you, and you know maybe maybe offering some advice for other folks who are trying to build those collaborative relationships and making it making it meaningful and making it, um, you know, sort of aligned with those traditional ecological that that traditional ecological knowledge. That's a big question. It it is. Um, I love asking big
0: questions. (laughs) I think like for me, it all kind of boils down to like sincerity and honesty and like coming to the relationships like you would with anybody, just like um, to build relationships, you need trust. And so, you know, when we moved up there, um, you know, I'm a Korean Canadian woman. You can't, nobody can see me on radio again or not radio podcasts, I guess, but um, you know, like I'm I grew up in Winnipeg in a big city and stuff. And my husband is is Caucasian and we just moved to the Arctic. And you know, I think we moved with an open heart and just an open mind of like we're just gonna be nice and see what happens. And the people up there are so welcoming and like as long as you kind of had any interest in learning about their culture and wanting to be their friend, you know, it was just easy. And as we became their friends, then the door started opening to learn more about their culture and like for us to share things. And, you know, I I left there in 2007, I think. And, you know, I went I flew all the way back to the Arctic like two or three times just to visit because the connections are really deep. And and when you have that connection and then you do start talking about the land, which is, you know, really important to them and their culture. um. Then it makes it easy when you're the land, you know, technically supposed to be the land manager, you just kind of follow their lead. I mean, they've been doing it for thousands of years. So um, the interesting part is like coming back down and being in a bit of a different paradigm, you know, like, you know, where I am now, there there are the traditional treaty rights um, in this park. Uh, and the relationships are a little more, little more tenuous and, and they haven't been quite as developed over time and so you know i i think we just have to go into it like when we're doing these workshops with the same kind of like honesty like this is this is what i don't know this is what i think i have to offer and let's just go together and see where we get to is kind of my my take on it and we'll see mm-hmm. how it how it goes but i think when you approach things with that kind of attitude then you know hopefully the sincerity is evident and and like the intent is there so yeah Yeah, that's perfect. I think that fundamentally
1: connects to your work with diversity and inclusion and equity. And I'm curious, um, just to hear your perspective on the importance of of bringing in this diverse, more diverse workforce, or bringing in and and really empowering women, empowering um, people of color. Um, can you talk to that a little bit into to your work in
0: that realm? Yeah. Um, I kind of. I guess I could start it with like where, how, why I got to it. It like. Kind of didn't dawn on me. I am a you know, I'm a what a first generation Canadian. I was born from immigrant uh, parents who moved here in the 60s, and um, you know, I'm very Korean, like in terms of my cult, my own cultural background. And it didn't really dawn on me as I kind of made my way through school and whatever. And and I also think like sometimes, you know, back 20 years ago, we a lot of people tried to just like blend in, like, don't rock the boat. Don't be overly different. Uh, you're already visibly different. So just try to, you know, wade through it all very te- gingerly. So don't draw attention to yourself. Um, and then I kind of started getting, I guess the word for it would be kind of mad. Like <laughs> some way <laughs> somewhere down the line, I started realizing like I'm being treated different. I sometimes have to work harder Um, I think the, the female thing in in fire really almost like takes over the other parts of diversity. Cause like, if you think about how many visible minorities there are in fire, it's like even less than the 10% of the women that are there. So um, I think I started to just realize like, it's a thing it's, it matters. And I was talking to a female firefighter. She had been in fire for at that point, 10 years with multiple different agencies and um, at the time I was in operation section chief on a fire and we were driving home from export. And she said, you know, Jane, like, you're like the first ops lady ops I've ever seen. And I was like, ha ha lady ops. That's funny. And uh, she's like, no, like, seriously, like I've been in fire for 10 years and I've literally never seen a lady ops before. And it's just really like opened my eyes. I always just thought like this is a summer gig and I'll just figure out something different after I get sick of it. And she's like, you really made me realize, like, maybe it can be a career thing for me. And in my head, originally, I was like, kind of, I thought it was kind of weird. I was like, is that a thing? Like, you know, just because I'm the only first one you've seen, like, you didn't think you could do it. And, you know, and I said that, and she was like, yeah, actually, it's, it's true. And I was like, wow, like, that's, Sad and like really frustrating to hear, and then I started realizing like how it was really important, and like how upsetting that was to me that like you know that's the that might that figures into the reason why we don't see that many women. They don't see themselves reflected. And then I started thinking like, when's the last time I saw like an actual visible minority or a person of color or anybody on a fire that was anywhere above like the crew system? Like very little. Um, and so. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine, um, bob gray, who who uh, does a bunch of firework in western Canada. and and we were just talking, and uh, he is a sister in the military. and you can imagine what that's like. and and yeah, we so we kind of like, yeah, had a little venting session. and then that kind of led into some of the diversity work that um, we did with the Association for Fire Ecology. There's a position paper on gender discrimination and harassment. Um, and so that was like, kind of like the first like nugget of something positive that came out of that, like angst. Um, and then soon, I then I just started looking at everything through like a bit of that lens, like, you know, what else can we do? Like, I can't be the only one she shouldn't be feeling like, like, I don't want more people to feel that way. We need more people. So then, you know, I started doing some work internal to Parks Canada, we put together um, some training and diversity and harassment, we did what we did was we created a whole bunch of fireline scenarios of, and they were actual scenarios we got with people's consent about things that had happened to them. So, you know, like for me, the typical, like, Oh, I'm a name, your leadership role in fire, div soup, ops chief, IC, whatever. And they don't ever address me and they address my male colleague who's to the side. And that maybe reports to me. Um, Other ones were like, uh, you know i've been on a fire and people have like grabbed my hair like they were reins on a horse and like i was trying to give a briefing when that happened you know like just things like that um and or worse and so we we put that training together to just start to open people's eyes people's eyes to what it is like to be one of the groups that systemat- systematically um oppressed in any whether it's culturally just anywhere or on the fire line. Um, And then that kind of, like, grew to work with um, the Canadian Interagency Forest Fire Centre, and um, they've got now a bunch of diversity initiatives that involve all the Canadian fire agencies. That's how I met Kelly Martin. Um, And, yeah, like, it just kind of kept blossoming. And then I think at a certain point, I was like, well, in my own program, I don't see a lot of, like, I'm diverse, <laughs> but I'm not, <laughs> I can't be the only one. Um, and so I started to kind of think like, why is that? And I started to, I think the big thing and the thing I like to tell people is like, things really changed for me when I started looking at my own biases. Like, you know, I was like, I'm a proud Canadian, Korean Canadian woman, you know, how biased could I be? But mm-hmm. I every have biases. Um, and when I started thinking about it, 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 it's something you have to consciously think of Um, pushing back on to make sure that you don't have them because it's really subtle. You don't feel like you have biases. And then all of a sudden, you're like, Oh man, I do. And I think once I started doing that, um, more diversity in my own program started happening. And, and then like people were kind of like, Oh, Jane does a lot of stuff in that area. And then, you know, people wanted to work in our program. And so then all of a sudden i was like oh my gosh look at this like blossoming diversity there's like more women working for me now like in the last few years i w- we had like 50% women on our fire crews it you know it ebbs and flows like people move on to different things but um but yeah like there's there's actually it's noticeable when it's not diverse now which is way different than before where like you wouldn't even have thought of nobody ever thinks it's weird when it's all just like white men on the job. But then when you start to see that it can be different, you're like, oh, wait, that's neat. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like it's kind of really been great. And like this summer um, when we got deployed, I got deployed as an incident commander with our team to BC for the BC wildfires. And um, the fire we were on, it was the Inca fire down in uh, Osoyoos and Oliver, BC um we had the pleasure of working with um 100 men and women from mexico um as that came as firefighters and you know at like i was like wow like <laughs> now we have even more diversity on this <laughs> fire um but there was only four women that came with the group of a hundred and uh we ended up doing this like cool photo with just all the women on the fire because like my, with me as the incident commander we had, I can't remember, I think it was almost over 50% of my incident management team was women. Plus we had these four women from Mexico, plus we had women on the cruise um, as well. And so we did this photo op with all the women and, and the, the ladies from Mexico (laughs) kind of pulled me aside and they're like, Oh, you know, when we got here and we saw that you were, it was run by a woman, we were so excited because, you know, they had to fight really hard to be able to come. Like they weren't, you know, they weren't chosen. They they pushed and advocated for themselves to get there. Um, but the interesting part was, they said, you know, when we got here, we just thought like, oh, like in Canada and the U.S., like it's fifty percent women in fire, and like I, like had to apologize. I like laughed in their <laughs> face. I was like, there's no, that is not how it is. Um, I wish I wish it was like that, but it is not. And um, so you know, it's hard here too. And you know, we we had a pretty good conversation and. You know, just on our way to walk to where we were taking that photo, like all the women were just talking about their experiences, and it was it was so cool. And we had a lot of the guys, both from Mexico and from the Canadian agencies, like there to take pictures for us. And like it was such a great feeling, you know, like we're in the middle of this crazy, stressful fire, and like to take a bit of a nugget like that, and and just show the people on that fire what it can be like that it, you know, that there's just a different way of doing things sometimes. you need, I think. So empowering. I'm sure that was really
1: empowering for the women involved as well.
0: Mm -hmm, Um, It's cool.
1: Do you see, um, have you been able to recognize like a dynamic shift as you've brought more diversity into
0: your, into the park? Yeah, I think so. I think like what I've noticed is like with, with any kind of diversity, because it's like the diversity I'm talking about in my own program, isn't just necessarily just, you know, having more women. We have had like magical, visible minorities every and here and there, or people of color here and there, and um, uh, people from the LGBTQ2 plus community and um, people with disabilities and things. And I think what we've realized is that there really is, like, a lot of power in diverse ways of thinking, of diverse perspectives. And, like, I've really come to appreciate, like, the people who are very different from me because, A, they're usually really good at things that I'm not (laughs) and vice versa. And so it's like this like puzzle piece or puzzle of like all these different pieces that fit together. And, you know, we're much stronger together than each on our own. So like if I had like 20 of me, I don't really think we'd be all that great, but having like, you know, like three of me and like four of that kind and, you know, like it, it actually is really great and you can see where you're missing out, you know, like, see where the gaps are. It's like, wow, I would never have thought of it that way or, or whatever. And, and um, yeah, like we're really, I I think our program is much closer just personally with each other because yeah, we just have a lot of respect. I, I I love the people I work with.
1: (laughs) That is incredible to hear it. I mean, it sounds a ton. Like when I was talking to Lania about Wtrex and I know you're planning on doing a Wtrex event, um, before we
0: get into that though, I'd love to hear about some of your experiences, uh, as a Korean Canadian woman. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely not without its challenges. I think like that whole, like intersectionality of being a Korean woman, the Korean part almost, it it's, it almost is, like I said, almost secondary to the, the, it's so already not that common for a woman to be there that like the fact that I'm Korean is just like, Oh my gosh! Whatever, Um, and so it is like noticeable. I I, like when I talk to my ops chief. He's been my ops chief for a while. Like, and he said like he notices in meetings when people like address him instead of me. Um, And and like he's really great at at being my ally and being like you know you're this is who you need to talk to, not me. Um, And it I think it has been good. I think at times. It has been challenging. Um, You know, I think we as women do have to like work a little harder to to prove that we have the authority to prove that we need to be there. Um, I've been like I was at a meeting once where it was like all the all the fire chiefs in like Southern Alberta. And uh, I was I think I was like one of the only women Um, and they literally asked if I was like a summer student. And i was like why on earth would parks canada send a summer student to this meeting like that's just doesn't make any sense um but you know like things like that Companies i mean i was <laughs> yeah like i was the only only woman uh on my deployment to australia a couple years ago um on that one i went down as a planning planning section chief um but it was interesting because when I got there, we were greeted by um, the consulate general for for Canada at the Canadian embassy. She came to the the airport as a, a female diplomat and she's shaking everybody's hand and she goes to shake mine and she kind of brings me in for a little hug. And um, she whispers in my ear, she's like, are you the only one? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I am. She's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. And she said, <laughs> And she said, she's like, yeah, I, she's like often I'm the only one too. So I can totally relate. And yeah, we, it was funny. We had a bit of a conversation and then it was funny. Cause at the tail end of that deployment, so like 40 days later, we're like getting ready to leave. And the premier of New South Wales was there um, who's also female. And, and again, she's, you know, doing the, you know, customary political thing, shaking hands and taking photos. And everybody gets a little gift and the gifts, um, we're kind of gender specific, I guess, like tie pin or brooch. And, uh, she, she she too, like she shakes my hand and then leans in and she says, she said, you know, I was asking for like the split between like how many of the tie pins versus the other. And I was really surprised that there was like only one. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, how do you deal with it? And I was like, I don't know. You just do like, it's just a thing. Like, I'm pretty sure if you ask, like, every woman in fire, they would say the same thing. It's like, it's just a thing. You just have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's definitely interesting, but I, I do think like, I do feel respected, you know, it, it, it doesn't come like instantaneous. Um, but I, I think that I do feel respected by my colleagues. Um, maybe it it feels like it took a little longer and whether it did or not, I don't know. You know, I think a lot of times when you've had to, feel like you have to prove yourself over and over again. I think you do get a bit of that chip on your shoulder and you like side eye people and just assume that they don't think you're worthy. So um, it does color your, the lens that way, but you know, like the, the stereotypes of what people think um, and how they perceive you, I think are there, you know, like I've been told like, Oh, you better watch how you speak. Cause you might be to sound too bossy or you can seem really like um, like you you value conflict or whatever, you know, that whole thing where it's like, if I was a dude, I I would sound like I had authority and I was a leader and I was decisive. But, you know, as a woman, if I do that, then, you know, I have to always wonder, like, do they think I'm being too bossy or like the other B word or whatever? So, you know, it's a, it's an interesting journey, but I think like, as things are changing, as more women are getting into it, you know, and, and just society's changing like it's just not okay for it to not to all look the same forever um i think it's just so much more empowering like there's so much out there for us to do and people are doing it and there's like women doing amazing things and you know people of color doing all sorts of things too and i think that that's just gives you more energy to keep going because sometimes it can get kind of (laughs) rough um but i think like when you know that there's people dealing with it the same way or who've made it through the other side um, Mm -hmm. kind of gives you that motivation to like, okay, I could do this.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. All the more reason to like get women together, get uh, minorities together and to share stories. Because like you said, with that conversation that you had in the truck with that other woman, it's like, sometimes it genuinely requires like, like telling your story in order for people to recognize that it's possible. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's kind of wild, you know, like um, yeah, you don't think something's possible until you see somebody do it. That kind of that looks like you. Yeah. I, the only reason I got into fire was because two women that I knew got into were in fire, and at one point I only knew two. I only knew women in fire, and I was like, yeah. okay, this seems like if they can do it, like I can totally do this. I like they were friends of mine. I was like, all right. I like asked them all sorts of questions, and I had that resource, and I think that's like an absolutely imperative part of getting women involved in fires is, is like providing those resources to answer
0: those questions and to share those experiences. totally. Um, and and I think like, yeah, like women trend towards, you know, there is still that queen bee thing, but if you take that part away, like we trend towards wanting to help each other, you know, like, um, like that Facebook group thing, the girls on fire Facebook group thing that literally like started as like a backyard around the fire conversation with my fire crew, female fire crew members. And we were just talking about like, I don't know, like, books we should read and like, oh, well, you know, you should talk to this person. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to start this like Facebook group and you guys can just chat. Like, I'd love for you to meet her and you to meet her. And then I was like, oh, you know, like I'll just invite like all these fire ladies I know. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, there's like 400 people. Uh I was like, I I think like at this point I should probably do something a bit more official than just post things but I don't actually know enough about social media to like really take it but then everybody's doing it like you know Yeah
1: like engaging it's totally yeah. taken on a life of its own. We have Wildfire Women, I don't know if you follow that but that's that's another similar group that is it's just super cool like people share things that they relate to or share questions that they have and there's like thousands of women in that group who are all involved in fire in some way or have been and it's really cool to see everybody engaging and answering questions and being like more than open to share um, their experiences with things. And, and a lot of these questions can be very specific. It's just really cool to build those communities out online
0: because you just sometimes don't have that sort of community, um, on your crew. And it can be lonely. I mean, like, even for me, like when I was in Australia and like I said, as the only woman on that thing. And thankfully, like one of my best fire buddy male friends was with me, but like, I felt really alone a couple of times. Like there was a couple of phone calls, like, and thankfully, like the, the deputy incident controller for the fire was a, was a woman, Uh, shout out to Janelle Brooks of New South Wales national Parks, (laughs) And, um, and uh, some of the other women as well that I was working with. And, you know, we were on a call one day and it was just like reeking of misogyny. Like just, you know, are you sure that the, the incident commander allowed you to make that plan and, it was just really condescending and we were really frustrated. And, you know, like over a glass of water, we, uh, we chatted and like vented a bit. And, and it really like, you know, made me finally feel like after kind of a week of just pretty feeling pretty alone on the other side of the world in a pretty stressful situation was like, okay, I like found my people like, you know, like I kind of hadn't realized like I'd always been over here with not very many women, but to be you know for over a month by yourself and on the other side of the <laughs> the world um alone and just with a whole bunch of dudes is like can be kind of overwhelming you know even though i've been in it for like a long time so it was so nice to like connect with them and you know we still get we we're still in touch and stuff and and um so yeah like when you're when the ratio is usually like 90 10 um you need those other networks to to really like find your community, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. To fill that gap. Yeah. That I feel like that transitions well into the W WTREX um, objectives that you have for bringing it to Canada and building that community kind of on the ground. Can you talk a little bit about that um,
0: initiative? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I don't know. I think it was like maybe six years ago. Um, a friend of mine, Johnny Stowe, he works in South Carolina for the fish and wildlife or state, state fish and wildlife department, I think. Um, but, uh, he does a lot of prescribed fire down in the South. Anyways, he had told me about this amazing thing that was happening. It was when they were doing it in Yosemite and he's like, Jane, you should come down. It's like all women. And like, you would love it. And at the time I was like, Oh man, like work's never going to allow me to go to the States. Like I was still fairly new in my job. And anyways, I just didn't, I was like, I'm not even going to ask, like, they'll never approve it. Um, Anyways, I I kind of ever since then like have followed the W tracks, which is the Women and Prescribed Fire Training Exchange, and it's kind of where they take the TREX model, which is doing a bunch of training to like get people more in tune with like burning and getting certified certified in it, um and and flipping the narrative on the ratio of women to men or or people from other um under under underrepresented groups and um yeah like there's been a lot of like cool videos and like Anchor Point film and things like that. And so last year, Linia contacted me and was, I don't know actually how she even found me, maybe from my Twitter or something, but she contacted me and just said like, hey, like, you know, you might, you seem like you might have a cool story. Would you want to give a presentation to like the WTREX participants? Cause we can't hold it this year because of COVID. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I did like this, the first like presentation I've ever done that was kind of semi-autobiographical, which was kind of like covered like me as a Korean Canadian woman, like my upbringing, my parents, all that kind of stuff. And then my journey through fire. And then, you know, I was like, well, like since I'm talking to you anyways, like is there a way I could get involved in W Treks? Cause like I'd, I'd love to, you know, go there, watch it, be a participant. But also I think it would be super cool to do up in Canada cause we've got you know, more and more of these diversity and inclusion, um, initiatives, and it'd be great to get more women involved. And Lina was like all over it. And she's like, I'll find out if, you know, like if you can join and, and then, yeah, pretty quickly, I was, uh, able to join the cadre. And so, yeah, I'm going to be going down as the deputy incident commander and, um, doing that with, uh, Mo Hine, who's going to be the incident commander. And, um, I'm dragging, um, a uh, fire management officer from Jasper National Park, Katie Ellsworth, uh, with me. Um, so because if we do have any, have OW tracks in Canada, I'd like to have Katie involved and all the other women that I work with involved. And so we're going down at the end of March to go, deal, go to Trex and see what it's all about. And I've been helping with the organizing of it. And yeah, basically it's, um, yeah, it's a 12-day training exchange where we do, you know, a combination of like, in person classroom type activities and presentations, but then the bulk of it is implementing prescribed fires um, out on the landscape and, and giving the participants experience in whatever it is that interests them in, as part of that uh, process. So there's, you know, ops trainees, and there's people learning to do be burn bosses and plans people, and there's the whole gamut. So Yeah. I'm like so excited. And, um, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be allowed to go given all the COVID things this year, even, but, um, we got approval. And so I've just got to stay COVID free for two weeks and (laughs) then I'll get to go.
1: So exciting. Oh, that's awesome. I really look forward to you guys being able to bring it up there. Um, and like, would love to come up and help or something. I, I am going up for a conference in Edmonton, a fire conference. Oh, I'll be there. I figured you might. I was like, this is like right in her
0: neighborhood. I better, I better (laughs) ask Um, in November. So like
1: whatever comes first, I would love to meet you in real life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, if you have a little bit of spare time, it's only a few hours away from here. So you definitely come down here and check out what we do and and stuff. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be up there. So we'll get to actually see each other in person. (laughs) Oh, I would love that. All
1: right, y'all, that's what we've got for you today. I included that last little section about the fire conference in Edmonton to hopefully interest more folks in potentially going to that. I believe I'll be a speaker there, and I'm really looking forward to meeting some more folks in the fire space, especially in the Canadian fire space. I will also be in Pasadena for the um, fire and climate conference in May, so if any of you are going to be there it would be great to link up and meet some folks in real life. After about two years of only doing Zoom interviews, I'm pretty excited to do some in-person interviews for the first time this summer. So if you're going to be there, let me know and we can hopefully link up. And otherwise, that's our episode for you today. If you enjoyed this episode or if you related to anything in this episode, please share it with somebody else who you think might enjoy it. And don't forget to Subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify. Maybe give us a review if you're able to. And otherwise, we will catch you on the next one.